This is The Faithful Expositor, a podcast from the preaching and teaching ministry of Pastor Jonathan Sims of Shepherdville Mills Baptist Church. Welcome to another edition of The Faithful Expositor. I'm your host, Brother Joe Carpenter, and today I have the privilege of sitting in our studio here at SMBC with uh, Brother John O. Sims. And today, Brother, it's a fairly cold spring day right in the middle of turkey season. How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing good, Brother. I know it's been uh, somewhat of a break since we had our last publication of The Faithful Expositor. Uh, with the last session was with David Miller. Mm-hmm. A lot has happened since then. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, last week, Kayla's father, Tom Daughtery, passed away, and I preached his funeral last Sunday. And uh, then I was already scheduled to be off a week, and I'm so thankful we went ahead and took that Amen. week of vacation. You encouraged me to do that, brother, mm-hmm. and I appreciate that. And um, able to spend good time with the family mm-hmm. and spend time with Kayla and. God's grace is sufficient, brother. Mm-hmm. You know, our hope is in the Lord, and we're looking to Him, and we're doing fine. Mm. But there is sadness in all loss. And, sure. And, uh, but it's good to be back today. It's good to be back in the office yesterday and have staff meeting with all the staff yesterday. And it's good to be back here in the studio. I, I enjoy doing these podcasts, and I've missed it. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I'm glad to be back and at it. Mm-hmm. Well, we're glad to have you back. You Thank know. you. Um, we're thankful that, for the most part, things seem to run, you know, right on track whenever you're away. But exactly. there's a very—I can't tangibly uh, quantify this—but there's a, just an unsettling among the sheep whenever mm. the shepherd's gone. Yeah. And uh, we just—we, you know, where is he? Can't wait for him to come back. We understand that he's on vacation and he needs it, and we're thankful for it. And but thank the Lord that he's back. So Amen. we're really looking forward to getting back. Uh, into is it Revelation again this weekend? I can't wait. I, <laughs> I am so excited, brother. I, I'm ready for Revelation 19, 11 through 16, and mm. I've already read and studied ahead for uh, verse 17 through the end of the chapter, and um, also ready for youth camp. Mm-hmm. Um, this year we're doing youth camp on the seven sayings of the Savior from the cross, mm. those seven Mm-hmm. St- last statements Jesus mm-hmm. made before he died. Mm-hmm. We're using A.W. Pink's book this year as the backdrop for that study. And I'll just tell you, brother, the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and the things that he said and the scriptures he fulfilled, it's so deep you just can't plumb the depths of it. Right. It It's wonderful. It's glorious. We've just been praying the Lord would use this youth camp to save mm-hmm. a lot of young people, to to save them from their sins, that mm-hmm. we'd see a lot of conversions at camp this year. Mm-hmm. But my heart's just full, my head's full <laughs> with uh, so much of the wonderful teaching of the Word of God. And mm-hmm. But I'm really looking forward to preaching this Sunday from Revelation. Amen, brother. Speaking of those seven sayings, when I preached through John's gospel, and I believe he dealt with two of them right. you know, there, but right. I had it just the Holy Spirit impressed upon me to go back and look at all of his sayings. Yes. And I think you said it yesterday mm-hmm. that you know, obviously, when we look to the cross, we see the heart of Christ, but then right. you actually hear what he says, and out of yeah. the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, and brother... Uh, nowhere do we see more of the heart of God than in the death of Jesus Christ. It's the epicenter of the mm-hmm. Bible. Mm-hmm. Mount Calvary is the highest mountain peak in all mm-hmm. of Scripture. Mm-hmm. And 
it's just the heart of God on full display. Amen. I'll tell you this, brother, <laughs> dovetailing this year's youth camp with last year's, you know, we dealt with the attributes of God. Mm -hmm. I believe every single attribute of God, mm -hmm. every one of them, is on full display at Calvary. Absolutely. In perfection. In perfection. Yes, and yes. In totality. Yeah, yeah. So to have those two studies go together is quite a, an amazing thing yeah. to contemplate. That's good. That's good. Well, I know our kids are excited yep. about it, and our youth pastor is excited yes. about it, too. He was telling us and kind of sharing his heart about that yesterday, too. So. Right. Well, today we want to talk about a subject uh, that's very near and dear to, I know, both of our hearts as well as uh, to our entire church family and well as many that are in our Anchored in Truth network, too. And the subject today is going to be the doctrines of grace. And, um, you, you know, uh, we're not apologizing for this at all up front, but obviously we're not going to give the same uh, deep theological dealing with this as say that you would find from a Tom Schreiner or someone right. up at you know the Master's Seminary or something like that too. But we're also not going to deal with it in such a shallow way that we miss the practical applications of it. Right. And uh, I just wanted to kind of start off with that and just uh, help us to understand then, Brother Jono, what are the doctrines of grace? That is a term that has come down through years of Christian teaching, I would say, since the Protestant Reformation, that describe a system, a systematic uh, approach to understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I would say, I believe, is the gospel. Mm -hmm. I believe the doctrines yes. of grace clearly define what the gospel is. Mm -hmm. Specifically speaking, it's an acronym that was developed at the Synod of Dort, mm -hmm. um, the flower there that mm -hmm. was used as a as a an acronym uh, TULIP T U L I P. Uh, T stands for total depravity. U stands for unconditional election. L stands for limited atonement. I stands for irresistible grace. And P stands for the perseverance of the saints. Hmm. And so those are what are commonly called the doctrines of grace. Hmm. Amen. And typically, doctrines of grace are typically thought of as sort of the heart of Reformed theology. Right. But just because you ascribe to the doctrines of grace doesn't mean that you fully ascribe to all that connected to Reformed theology. That's I mean, correct. I mean, we're Baptists. That's right. You know, I want to just say, too, brother, that I am not casting a wishful eye toward hmm. Presbyterianism. Amen, brother. I am not a Presbyterian. I love my Presbyterian sure. brothers, but we are radically different in, in some very, very important ways. Yes. And I'll never cross those lines, brother. Amen. I, I'm a Baptist. Uh, to the core of my DNA mm -hmm. because I've studied the scriptures and I believe that the Baptist expression of faith is truest to the New Testament. If mm -hmm. I didn't, that's uh, then I would be wherever that is. Yeah, absolutely. But I am not. Uh, so if, if, if talking about the doctrines of grace, somebody immediately thinks of the full-blown <laughs> Reformation theology of paedo-baptism or other types of covenantal theology type things, that's not me. Or amen. That's not who I am. That's not where I am. And I have no desire to be there because I don't believe mm -hmm. that that's what the Scripture teaches. Amen. 
And um, so I, I guess if a person would put a label on me, I'm a Reformed Baptist. <laughs> Amen, brother. In my understanding, you mm-hmm. know, you said in the very beginning there, mm-hmm. I don't have the mind that great men before me. Sure. So as I understand the doctrines of grace, and that may be, mm-hmm. you know, where some of the weakness comes in, but as I understand the doctrines of grace, I think that that term would define me Reformed Baptist. Let me let's talk in about that a little bit then here, uh, and maybe these two kind of questions go together. But first of all, you just articulated for us pretty much soteriologically what these doctrines of grace are using that TULIP acronym, which, by the way, I think is a good acronym. I like it. I think it's fine, I, I, and I, I understand people try to redefine it, and, right, and so on. But but do you accept all of them just kind of as as what you had stated earlier? Yes. Amen. Every one of them. Um, again, as I understand them, as I've studied the scriptures, mm-hmm. I've become convinced that they are all true. And I want to go one step further and say, I do not believe you can accept one of them without accepting all Absolutely. of them. I don't believe that's possible. I don't believe it's intellectually honest. Yes. And there are those that naively think they can mm-hmm. be you know, ascribed to four points and not five or mm-hmm. three and not five. That's just intellectually not honest. That's right. It's, if, you, if you really study them and you really examine them in detail, it's an inseparable chain that yeah. cannot be broken. Mm-hmm. And so it really is all or nothing. Mm-hmm. And there may be some brothers out there that recoil at that. Sure. But, but I, just, I think it's just because maybe you've not studied them all the way through mm-hmm. because it is a system that, that uh, I believe the Scripture presents that all go together yeah. without break. And oftentimes what I've heard, you know, I've had brothers come to me, and they typically I'm a four pointer, right. and it's usually the L. It's yeah. usually the limited atonement. Yeah. But, and it, what I found is usually it's not so much just the study, though. That's that that they haven't really fully dove in and find out what it actually means. But it's it makes them very uncomfortable. It does. Uh, and a lot of that could be what they've been taught in the past. But it's just it's uncomfortable to think that the atonement was limited in its scope by by God, not well, us. What but, I'm about to say in light of what you've just said may sound somewhat superficial, but I believe with all my heart, I believe the numbers of points that a lot of brothers believe or don't believe is driven by their fear of getting fired in their church. That's good, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're men pleasers. Yes. And the fear of man brings a snare, but whoso mm-hmm. trusts in the Lord will be safe. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about some wisdom and, and being judicious and teaching these things. And mm-hmm. there's certain balances that come along with each one of these doctrines. But it would be misery to me. I, I can't even conceive of believing things that I was not openly teaching. Uh, of of in my office being one thing and then opening the door and becoming another curse of curses. That's right. I, I just can't live my life that way. Yeah. If I believe something, it's going to affect the way I behave Amen. and who I am. And so I, I think we got to be honest. I think we got to be men of integrity Amen, and, and, and state clearly who we are and what we believe and let the chips fall where they fall. That's good. Um, you know. So you grew up in a Southern Baptist church. Right. How and and we could go all day long just about the Southern Baptist history right. concerning you know the, the doctrines of grace and sure. so on. We sure. and I personally, you and I both believe that Southern Baptist as a convention was founded by brothers who would have held to these same doctrines of grace that we do. Absolutely. Um, but over the years, it's become more Armenian, which maybe we can get into uh, here in a little bit. With all that being said, how did you come to the doctrines of grace? How did you learn about them? How did you first hear about them? In spite of all the churches I was raised in and in spite of the seminary that I went to, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, 
it's a, it's amazing that I'd been in Southern Baptist churches all my life and went to the largest at that time theological seminary in the world mm-hmm. and had never even heard <laughs> of the doctrines of grace, mm. uh, which just kind of emphasizes how shallow the preaching and the teaching was at that time mm-hmm. in so many of our Southern Baptist churches. Brother, I would state it this way, by divine providence, Amen. Um, God placed expositors in my life who would take a book of the Bible and open that book up, and they taught me to preach word by word, line by line, precept upon precept, from beginning of that book all the way through to the end. Now, strangely enough, most of the expositors in my life early on would not have ascribed to the doctrines of grace, but they laid, un, unwittingly, mm. they laid the foundation for me mm. to arrive at this conclusion. Mm. I want to say this. It's impossible. Mm. It is impossible to be a true verse-by-verse, book-by-book expositor of God's Word and not come to the doctrines of grace. Mm-hmm. It is not possible. Right. You have to play leapfrog. Mm-hmm. You have to omit text you have to skip over things you have to you know do all kinds of mental gymnastics mm-hmm. but just a simple reading of scripture a simple exegesis of the word of god forces you mm-hmm. it is inescapable yeah. to arrive at these conclusions if you're honest yeah and you're not f- full of the fear of man yeah and that's not driving you so I don't know if my way is typical, but I didn't <laughs> come to these doctrines because a group of Reformed brothers laid hands on me and prayed. <laughs> you know, I didn't come to these uh, conclusions because I read some uh, theological work by John Owen or John Calvin. Mm-hmm. Just didn't happen for mm-hmm. me. Uh, the way I came to uh, understand the doctrines of grace was preaching through Ephesians. Mm-hmm preaching four years through the book of Romans, mm-hmm. um, studying First Peter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I preached through the gospel of John. Yes, you did again here. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you this, brother. The gospel of John mm-hmm. is the yeah. book in the Bible mm-hmm. where Christ himself presents mm-hmm. these doctrines. Yeah. So I came to these teachings and accepted all five of these points of doctrine through expository study mm-hmm. and expository preaching of the Word of God. You mentioned providence, uh, God's providence being the way that the Lord brought you to these. Would, do, you, do you see any connection between an understanding of the sovereignty of God, and I'd have to add the providence of God because He's sovereign and he, sure. He's actively at work, as well as these doctrines of grace, I mean, is is it possible? You 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 know, you can't. You mentioned you can't take the T without the L or the U without the I, and so on. Is it possible to ascribe to these doctrines of grace without having an understanding of the sovereignty and the providence of God? Absolutely not. Hmm. I mean, I think that's one of the problems guys get into. They they mm. look at the sovereignty of God as it applies only to soteriology. Yes. <laughs> yeah. My goodness. Uh, everything in my life is sifted through the sovereign hand of God. Mm. And so, yes, it was God's providence and sovereignty. You know, I remember going to these conferences when I was a young preacher, and Jerry Vines would get up and mm. hold up his Bible and red-faced say, preach the book, boys. Mm. 
line by line. And boy, I mean, it just lit a fire in me. Adrian Rogers would hold his Bible up and say, you preach this book. You preach all of it. You mm. preach the whole counsel of mm. God. Um, and so I did. That's what a bunch of us did. Yeah. And we started coming to passages like Ephesians 1. Mm-hmm. And we started coming to passages like Romans 8, 9, 10, and 11. Mm-hmm. We started coming to passages like John 17 and 1 Peter 1. Yeah. And we did what they said. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, I'm not trying to make any uh, you know, direct allegations against any of the names that I've named, but I think there was a general kind of understanding back then uh, yeah, preach all the Bible until you come to this, and then you need to pump the brakes and right. be careful now because you're going to get yourself in trouble. Right. And I've had many of those men so much as tell me that. Mm-hmm. Be very, very careful here. Now, you you don't need to tread out into that, brother. That's right. controversial. Yep. But um, I think if you love the Lord and you have a basic level of integrity, that's mm-hmm. going to drive you to study these things and find out what they mean yeah. as best you can. You can't skip over Romans 9 if no. you're going to be in a faithful expositor. Brother, when you start uh, taking out your, like the kings of old, uh, you know, when you take out your pen knife and, and, and you cut out the sections of the scripture you don't like, yeah. you, you end up with a mess. Mm-hmm. And so you, it's better just to take it as it's written, and do the best you can with integrity to understand what the Spirit of God meant when he wrote these passages in the Bible. Were there any difficulties for you when you were first introduced to some of these doctrines of grace? And and if so, how did you kind of wrestle through that or whatever? There definitely was. Um, mm-hmm. Early on, I'm trying to be transparent and honest. I played leapfrog because that's mm-hmm. all I knew to do. Yeah. And, and uh, I would go to some of my professors at seminary and ask them about it, and they'd give me some little hmm. superficial willy-nilly explanation about how it couldn't actually mean what it says, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> and I finally just got tired of playing leapfrog, brother. Yeah. Um, I finally got tired of explaining away or mm. attempting to what's clearly right before me. Amen. And just again and again and again and again, I would come to these texts in Scripture, and I finally just yielded. I finally just surrendered and gave up and gave over Mm. to the fact that this is a redemptive thread that Mm. runs through all of Scripture, and you cannot Mm. handle the Word of God, uh, you know, properly unless you deal with these things. Mm -hmm. And, brother, it— it's the greatest joy of my life, the greatest comfort, the greatest joy, the greatest peace, the greatest assurance. I attribute it all to going ahead and mining out the gold hmm. that God has put in his word about these passages that deal with God's providence and sovereignty. So you you do teach these doctrines. Absolutely. Then, now, you know, I would be careful to say yeah. that you'd be hard-pressed. I don't know that you could find a message anywhere ever where I got up in front of this church or any other and said, okay, I'm going to preach the tulip today. Yeah. <laughs> um, here's what I do, brother, is just when I come to you know, a text in Scripture that deals with the sovereign grace of God, specifically the overarching banner would be the doctrine of election. Mm-hmm. I just preach it. Yeah. And what I've discovered is is that when you are a faithful expositor and your people see that pattern in your life, when you come to a difficult text or one that's deemed controversial down through the years and you handle it the way you've handled every other text, yeah. it's not that controversial. That's right. Your people are accustomed to um, you handling all of Scripture that way, and so it keeps you from hobby horses. Yes. It keeps you from 
you know, being a stump preacher or, or mm-hmm. getting up on some soapbox somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I came to Romans 8, I remember it like it was yesterday. Mm. I told our congregation, I said, you know, the next four or five chapters we're about to enter into, some have deemed weighty and heavy and controversial. And I said, here's what we're going to do. I'm just going to handle these chapters the way I've handled every other chapter that I've ever preached to you. And off we went. Mm-hmm. And it just it wasn't a problem at all, brother. At Our all. people gloried in it. They rejoiced in it. We had people saved mm-hmm. right in the middle of Romans 8 and 9. Mm-hmm. Well, a testimony of that would be a brother by the name of Mike Griffin. If you listen to his testimony, that's what he says. Right there in the heart of he it. He was saved through me <laughs> preaching predestination, Romans foreknowledge, eight. and election. <laughs> yeah. You know? And so, and he, and he, one of the testimonies that he describes there is, you know, that for him this wasn't difficult. He just, that's what the scripture said. Right. That's how he believes exactly. it. Exactly. And I love that. Yeah. I love this the simplicity of that devotion to the Lord. This may not be the best illustration, but there's a lot of Americans, me being one of them, that are very upset by historical revisionism in our country and taking down monuments. I mean, look, yeah. we have things in our history that are our history. And taking a monument down doesn't do it away with yeah. the history. Well, there are biblical revisionists yes. who come to difficult passages of Scripture, and because it's uncomfortable or, or unpleasant, they just revise it and spin it their own way. That is not handling the Word of God in a right way. That's handling the Word of God deceitfully. That's right. So we've got to, we've got to when, when we come to these texts to answer your question, hmm. uh, just preach them. Amen. Preach the great text of Scripture like you do every other text. And, and you'll be amazed at how God's people respond. Mm-hmm. If they're saved, they're going to receive the Word of God. Just another testimony to that. You know, I'm preaching through Hosea right mm-hmm. now, and there's some incredibly difficult passages yep. just in the first chapter right. alone. And one of the things that I've noticed already is God's people, you know, when they know where you're at in Revelation or where I'm at in Hosea or whatever, they're already looking ahead and they're already studying. And so when you say these things and you explain these things, they're amening it. Yeah. Amening it. They're, they're on the edge of their seat already. They're, brother, they're ch- chomping at the bit at it because they've already believed it and accepted it. And they just trust God. <laughs> well, I know I've said this a thousand times in many different ways and probably right here on this podcast, but preachers always ask me, you know, what what's the first thing you do when you go into a church as a new pastor? You establish biblical authority. Yes. You hold the Bible up as the Word of God, the standard. Mm. This is our rule in all matters of faith and practice. Mm. And you begin to preach it that way. And and when you preach the Word of God and hold it up that way and, and you consistently bring the Word of God to bear on your people week in, week out, then Romans 8 is just one more chapter. Yeah. Ephesians 1 is just one more chapter. Yeah. And they accept it like they do all the others. Mm-hmm. And yeah, a lot of young preachers with more zeal than knowledge go into a church, and <laughs> week number one, they think it's their job to preach the, you know, preach the tulip. <laughs> yeah. And their people are not, they don't even know you yet. They don't know what you believe. You, right. You've not got a pattern of consistency. They don't trust you There's yet. no trust, yeah. You, you, yeah. you just need to go in and, and rightly divide the word of truth, and the Holy Spirit will apply it to their hearts in time. Amen. Amen. Um, let's, let's take a minute then and start to talk about a little bit about the tulip. Okay. Uh, the, um, the just I'd like to just kind of walk through each point the best that we can. Okay. And uh, talk about some of the scripture that helps us to understand some of these better. But it starts mm-hmm. with the T, which right. stands for uh, total depravity. Uh, to the best of your understanding, help us to understand what that means. Well, this is the teaching, in my understanding, that 
to quote Ephesians chapter 2, 1 and 5, men are born dead mm-hmm. in trespasses and in sin. Mm-hmm. And dead means dead. Yes. They are spiritually incapable mm-hmm. of believing. Mm-hmm. They are spiritual corpses. They're not mm-hmm. able to repent. Yeah. And this is why Paul would add the parenthetical note, by grace are you saved. Mm-hmm. You were born dead in trespass and sins. He quickens you together with Christ, comma, by grace are you saved. That's mm-hmm. the very definition of grace. Mm-hmm. You were dead. Mm-hmm. Lacking everything, mm-hmm. God quickened you mm-hmm. and gave you everything mm-hmm. in Christ. Mm-hmm. You bring nothing to the table. Mm-hmm. So your deadness is, is where we get that word depravity, that mm-hmm. you, you have an inability mm-hmm. in and of yourself to do anything yes. to regenerate yourself. That's the doctrine of regeneration, that you have to, John 3, be born again. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, we could really spend all day right here. Yeah, yeah. But this is what Paul means when he says it, it's written, and it was written in the Old Testament, that there's none righteous, mm-hmm. no, not one. Mm-hmm. And he goes on to explain um, what that means. There's none that understands. Dead men don't understand. Mm-hmm. There's none that seek after God. Dead men don't seek after That's God. That's right, yeah. Um, they've all gone out of the way. Mm-hmm. They've all become unprofitable. And he says... There's none that doeth good, no, not one. Hmm. In and of ourselves, there's nothing we can do, any act of goodness or no decision we make or words we pray or, you know. Uh, now, we'll explain later that when God regenerates us, there is a decision we make and sure. there are words we pray. Absolutely. We ask Jesus to save mm-hmm. us. There's no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. But those things don't activate the grace of God and make them effectual in your life. Mm-hmm. God, this is the doctrine of divine initiative. Yes, that God is the initiator in dead men's hearts and minds mm-hmm. of salvation, and man is always the responder mm-hmm. once quickened, once mm-hmm. awakened. Yes. Um, Jeremiah, you know, Mm -hmm. the classic text talks about the heart of man being deceitful Mm -hmm. above everything and desperately wicked. Mm -hmm. And then he goes on to say it's the Lord that searches the heart. It's the Lord that tries the mind. It's the Lord that gives every man according to his ways Mm -hmm. and the fruit of his doings. Mm -hmm. And so the teaching of total depravity I'm just trying to keep it simple because this is my simplistic understanding, would be that you're born with a massive problem. Mm -hmm. You don't need a nudge from God. You Mm -hmm. don't need a little assistance. Mm -hmm. You don't need a little bit of help. You need a resurrection from the dead. Mm -hmm. And without that, you'll never be saved. Mm -hmm. So total depravity reveals your problem. All have sinned Mm -hmm. and fallen short of the glory of God. That's right. And we'll get into methodologies later because that right there influences everything. It's the linchpin of the gospel. It really it's is. It's your problem. Yes, yes. It, it, it shows God's absolute holiness mm-hmm. and your absolute sinfulness. Mm-hmm. And, and when, we're saying, when we're saying total depravity, we're not necessarily saying that you're as bad as you can get. Right. But that every part of you is so contaminated that you have no ability inside and outside of a a part of yourself that is going to move you towards God. Brother, salvation is at the 
greatest miracle mm-hmm. ever performed Amen. by God. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot of comparisons between Genesis chapter 3 and John, or Genesis chapter 1 and John chapter 3, Amen. the creation and the new creation. Mm-hmm. This earth was void and dead and without form, and mm-hmm. the Spirit of God moved over mm-hmm. the face of the waters, and God said, let mm-hmm. there be light. And it's same with man. Mm-hmm. We're void and without form and dead and mm-hmm. dull, and the Spirit of God, as Jesus explained to Nicodemus, whom no man knows where it comes from or where the Spirit mm-hmm. goes to, moves over the soul of a dead man and mm-hmm. says, let there be life. Mm-hmm. And that man then enabled by God, Mm -hmm. repents, believes the gospel, calls upon the name of the Lord. But none of those things can he do Mm -hmm. unless and until God first initiates and moves and quickens and awakens him and enables him to do those things. Mm -hmm. So depravity speaks of your spiritual condition before God dead in trespasses and in sin. That's right. There's no internal flame that needs to be fanned. There's no internal light. There's no internal knowledge that you just got to seek and coerce and and try to get it manipulated out of that person. They're dead, dead, dead. And see, this, this affects the way we preach. This affects the way we do evangelism. Mm-hmm. Is, is salvation merely going out and giving someone some facts about the gospel and then asking them to parrot a prayer back to you mm-hmm. and declaring them saved, mm-hmm. which I say is blasphemy? Amen. Or is it preaching the gospel and the power of the Spirit and praying and begging the Spirit of God to move on the dead heart mm-hmm. of people to give them belief, give them faith, give them trust, give them repentance, mm. so that as Jesus explained to Nicodemus, they're born of of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. They're born again yeah. by the water of the Word, by the Spirit of the Word, mm-hmm. all those images from Ezekiel. Yeah. And they're made a new creature. Old things pass away. Mm. All things become new. I think we see the total colossal failure (laughs) of decisionism in evangelicalism is that we've been successful through spontaneous baptisms or mass evangelism or crusade evangelism to get people to to hit the dusty trail, you know, to walk the aisle, to pray the prayer, mm-hmm. and look at their lives, brother. Yeah. They live like the world, act like the world, talk like the world. Mm-hmm. But when a person is truly born again, mm-hmm. regenerated by mm-hmm. the power of the Spirit, they're a new creature. That's right. Yeah. Amen. You're right. We could camp out here all day Amen. long. Let's, for time's sake, move on to the <coughs> U, which stands for unconditional election. Right. And to the best of your understanding, uh, what does that mean? Well, I'm doing all these in my own words. So, <laughs> well, good. You know, <laughs> I don't want to hear what exactly. Al Mohler has to say that, about it, or I'd ask him. <laughs> right. But as I understand unconditional election, brother, it, it's the teaching that God chooses. Now, listen to what I'm saying. Some men. Yes. Not all. That's right. Some men out mm. from the rest of humanity mm. for salvation holy by grace. Mm. That would be my definition of grace. Amen. Amen. Um, It's apart from any uh, foreseen merit in them. It's purely the sovereign prerogative of God to save them. Mm. And I think the classic text on this would be um, Rebecca Mm. and Isaac Mm. and Jacob Mm. and Esau. And God said, you know, in Isaac, shall thy seed be called. That's right. 
And he goes on in Romans chapter 9, speaking of Jacob and Esau, Mm -hmm. uh, Rebekah's children, that, listen to this, the children not even being born yet, Mm. having not done any good or any evil, that the purpose of God in election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said to the uh, Rebecca, the elder will serve the younger, as it's written, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. And then he goes on to say this, God said, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So it's not of him that wills or him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. That's mm. Romans 9, 9 through 16. I paraphrase some of it. But these two boys uh, were in the womb of their mother. They had never done any good works, never done any evil works. God chose one and he passed by the other. Mm-hmm. That's the doctrine of election. Amen. Is that God, by his own prerogative yes. as God, yes. owing no explanation to man, Amen. and very little explanation given. Yeah. When you look at some of the people God chose in the Bible, they were scoundrels. Yeah, I'll be honest with you, If I was choosing, I would have chose Esau. <laughs> I mean, the guy hunts. He's a man's man. Yeah. He's not a mama's boy. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, he, he was just my kind of guy. Yeah. Um, I would have probably honestly had more in common with Esau than do Jacob. Mm. But God chose a swindler yeah. and a scoundrel. Mm. And um, thank God that's often what he does. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's saying too much or using too much, quote, typology, as we talked about a few weeks ago, to say God chose the second birth, not the first. That's right. Mm. Esau was the first birth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jacob was the second. Mm-hmm. It's not the first birth that's going to get you into heaven, brother. It's that second birth. Born again, brother. You have to be born again. Mm-hmm. And so my understanding of unconditional election would be that very definition that with Jacob and Esau, no, neither one had any foreseen merit right. with God. Yeah, God, purely because he's God, mm-hmm. chose Jacob and passed by Esau. And this is where one of the rubs are. Those Some will oppose it and say, well, no, this is you know, election according to foreknowledge, that yeah. he looked down those supposed corridors of time and saw that Jacob would serve him and Esau would reject him or something to that Which is work salvation. Exactly. What you're saying when you say that is, well, really he was justified because he earned it. Mm -hmm. He did something to deserve it. Yeah. And the truth of the gospel is when you get right down to what the gospel is in its purest form, Mm -hmm. there's nothing you've ever done or ever will do that Mm -hmm. makes you a candidate for salvation. That's right. You quoted it earlier, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It's by grace that you've been saved. That's right. I think think about it in bigger terms, not just with the individuals of Esau and Jacob, but the nation of Israel itself. and it, it you, God chose them. And Deuteronomy 7, 7, I had to look it up just a minute ago because I don't have it memorized. He says, it was not because you were more in number than any of the other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all the peoples. He didn't choose them because they were bigger, smarter, faster, stronger, more holy. It was That was not the reason at all. It was just out of his, like you said earlier, his divine prerogative to choose. Well, in the great Romans text on election, mm. uh, Paul uses the image of the potter and the clay. Mm. And this has always helped me, again, just in my simplistic understanding. You know, hath not the potter 
power over the clay. Now listen to these words, of the same lump mm. to make one a vessel of mm. righteousness and another a vessel of wrath fitted for destruction. destruction. Here's the deal. We all come from the same lump. Mm -hmm. There's nothing good in us. Yeah. We're all sinners and we're dead in trespasses and sin. And that whole lump is doomed and damned. Mm. That whole lump is under the wrath of God. But God in grace and mercy reached down into that lump, and he took some of that clay out and fashioned and formed it into a vessel of righteousness. Mm. And all he did with the other part was he just left it right where it was. That's right. It was already God-hating and rebellious and rejecting of Christ and denying the word and loving sin and loving right. the world and loving the devil. Mm -hmm. That's what that whole lump is. Mm. And that's why Paul says, will we charge God with unrighteousness? God forbid. Mm. Uh, you know, a, a God in mercy reached down, and of that same lump of clay, he took some mm -hmm. as a prize to demonstrate his grace in saving, his grace in loving, mm -hmm. his grace and mercy in, in redemption mm -hmm. through Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. But none of us deserve anything. Right. And when you approach the Scripture with an I deserve mindset, mm -hmm. you're going to completely miss the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah. When you finally understand God owes you nothing, mm -hmm. you're now near the kingdom. Mm -hmm. But until then, you're going to accept a false gospel of easy believism and six steps to be a better this or a better that. Yeah. And it all falls short of the glory of God. Amen. Amen. And the next... Uh, point of the tulip, the next flower, if you will, on the or a petal on the on the flower here uh, would be the L, and it talks a little bit about the the how, of of how uh, the Lord did this, and right. that would be limited atonement. Right. Um, help us understand what limited atonement is, the, brother Joe. This is the teaching that I believe that on the cross, Jesus Christ actually literally accomplished something. He mm -hmm. actually did something. Yes. On the cross, Jesus didn't uh, make a provision for the potential for somebody somewhere down the road to get saved. Right. When he cried, it is finished, he meant something. Mm -hmm. When Jesus died on the cross, he was an actual, <laughs> literal, we could say legal, yes, vicarious, penal, substitutionary atoning sacrifice. Yes. Jesus Christ came and on the cross he paid the bride price mm. for the bride that God had chosen for him mm. before the world even began. Mm. Jesus Christ came and made as a literal substitute uh, an offering for the sin of his people. Mm. And Honestly, brother, I'm just trying to be truthful and transparent. Mm -hmm. this, this is the way that I decided to describe this to you this very morning. And, and there's a multiplicity of ways sure. we could. Yeah. But when I think about limited atonement and, and how I would explain that, or some would call it particular atonement, mm -hmm. um, I, I, I see at least three ways, there's more, mm -hmm. that Christ taught us this. First of all, in his birth, yes. he taught it. Yeah. Yeah. Second of all, in his life, mm. he taught it. And then lastly, in his death, mm. Christ taught particular or limited atonement. Mm -hmm. You say, what are you talking about? <laughs> well, in his birth, in Matthew chapter 1, mm -hmm. uh, the angel appears to Joseph and reveals to him that Mary's 
pregnant of the Holy Spirit and that he should take her to be his wife. And as the Spirit of God comforted Joseph's heart, he said, she shall bring forth a son and you'll call his name Jesus. Listen to this. Mm. For he will save his people Mm -hmm. from their sins. And all this was done that might be fulfilled what was spoken of the prophets, Mm -hmm. saying a virgin will conceive, bring forth a son, you'll call his name Emmanuel, God with us, Mm -hmm. Matthew 1, 20 through 23. So think about this, Brother Joe. Christ just comes out of the womb, or he hasn't even come out of the womb yet, (laughs) and already his mission is described Mm -hmm. by God. Mm -hmm. Here's why Christ came. He came to save his people from their Mm -hmm. sins. Mm -hmm. That's a specific group of people Mm -hmm. whom he foreknew, Mm -hmm. the Father foreknew before the foundation of the world. And it's a definite, this is going to happen. That's why he's coming. He's telling us right up front, here's why I'm sending him is to accomplish this. Mm -hmm. And also Christ taught us limited atonement in his life. Mm -hmm. Now you did a masterful job at this through showing us the life living teachings of Jesus from the Gospel of John. And the pinnacle, I would hope you would agree, would Mm -hmm. be John 17, Mm -hmm. when Jesus is there making that high priestly intercessory prayer. Mm -hmm. He said, I've glorified you on the earth, Father. Mm -hmm. Listen to this. I've finished the work Mm -hmm. that you gave me to do. That reminds us of John 19.30. It is finished. Mm -hmm. And now, Father, glorify me with your own self, with the glory which I had with you before the world began. I have manifested your name unto the men that you gave me out from the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Listen to this. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but I pray for those whom you have given me out from the world. They were yours, and now they're mine. And I'm glorified in them, John 17, 9 through 10. Mm. Jesus makes it very clear as he's praying his intercessory prayer who he's dying for Mm -hmm. and whose they were and whose they are, what the purpose is. And he even goes forward to say, while I was in the world, I kept them in your name. All that you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost Mm. except the son of perdition, Mm Judas, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. Everything Jesus did was to fulfill the Scriptures, and he's teaching this in his life. Listen to this. Mm. He goes on, Father, I will that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, Mm. which you gave me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known thee, that you have sent me. I have declared unto them your name and will declare it. And the love with which you've loved me, I'll love them. It's in them, John 17, 24 through 26. So in birth, his mission was clearly stated. Mm -hmm. He will save his people from their sins. In his life, Mm -hmm. limited atonement was declared Mm -hmm. and that, Lord, these were yours and you gave them to me. Mm. I'm not praying for the world. Mm -hmm. I'm praying for them. I'm laying my life down for them. Mm. And then lastly, Jesus taught us Mm -hmm. limited atonement in his death. Mm. 
think about it. Mm-hmm. Two thieves started out railing yes. against Jesus. Yes. And God diffused his eye, diffused mm-hmm. a quickening <laughs> ray into one of those old thieves. Now, they were both chains. scoundrels, and they ought to all, they ought to, both went to hell. Yeah. But in sovereign election, yeah. Jesus, like he opened Lydia's heart, opened the heart and the eyes of one of those thieves. Mm-hmm. And he looked on Jesus and believed, and he said, Lord, remember me mm-hmm. when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today mm-hmm. you would be with me in paradise. Mm-hmm. And I would go one step further, brother, commenting on this. The apostle Paul says that Christ loved the church. That's right. And gave himself for her. Mm. That's what Jesus meant when he said, I'm not praying for the world. That's right. I'm praying for those who you've given me out from the world, the church. Mm -hmm. Ecclesia. That's it. (laughs) You gave me them out from the world. Mm. And so Christ loved the church Mm. and gave himself for her. Mm -hmm. Jesus did not die on the cross hoping that somewhere Mm. down the road somebody might uh, get saved, hear about the gospel and get saved. Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ came and definitely paid the bride price Mm -hmm. for the bride the Father had marked out for him before the foundation of the world. Christ came to make atonement for them Mm -hmm. and finished it completely Mm -hmm. to the standpoint that every person whom the Father has chosen to be saved is going to be saved. Mm -hmm. This is what we mean by effectual calling, Mm -hmm. that all all Mm -hmm. whom Christ calls will be saved. And that's our next next, uh, uh, pedal on the tulip Exactly, the eye, the irresistible grace. And I just want to pause for a second and say this, too, that first of all, as I listen to that, that description of um, of limited atonement, and I understand that that's the one that usually most folks have a harder time with. But as you're describing it, I mean, I find the most joy in that one, and I and and just the most comfort and the most appreciation for for what the Lord has done. But the second thing I'd say too is you said it right at the very beginning that it's intellectually impossible to believe one without the other. And if you don't have a good understanding of total depravity, or if you do have a good understanding of total depravity, you have to believe in a limited atonement. Yeah. That that it's not just the potential for somebody to conjure up within themselves the ability to accept or receive or, or believe Christ. They can't. Right. They can't. It's exactly They right. have to be chosen That's by right. God because he is sovereign in salvation, and he chose whom he chose. That's right. Yeah. So the the eye, the, the, the irresistible grace, or as you called it too, effectual calling. Help mm-hmm. us to understand uh, that portion of the tulip. Well, again, I know I sound, I'm sounding repetitive, but <laughs> this is the teaching of an effectual calling. Mm-hmm. And what we mean when we say effectual calling, it actually affects, it actually accomplishes what God intended it to accomplish. That's right. It's the teaching that all, I hope the people are listening, (laughs) all of those whom God foreknew Mm -hmm. and predestined to be saved will, will come to saving faith. Mm. John 6, Mm. all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Amen. For I came down from heaven not to do my own will. Mm. 
but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will. Of all he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but that he should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. (laughs) That's what we mean by an effectual calling. Mm -hmm. All that the Father has given to the Son, and that's what Jesus was praying in John 17, Father, they were yours and you gave them to me. Mm. All that the Father gives to the Son will come to the Son. David Miller said it this way, when you stew it all down, regardless of what you believe, Everybody that's supposed to be saved is going to be saved. Mm -hmm. In the end, everyone that God intended to be saved is going to be saved. Amen. Um, Paul Hmm. says, thinking back over his conversion on the Damascus Road, he said to the church at Philippi, "He loved. I love this. He says I was apprehended. Mm. That word apprehended. Look it up. It means seized." arrested Mm -hmm. to lay hold on. Paul was minding his own business, doing his own things, (laughs) on the way to arrest Christians, (laughs) throw them in jail. Yeah. And uh, he had a little kink in his plans. (laughs) Uh, He ran into Jesus, Mm -hmm. and Christ apprehended him, Mm -hmm. arrested him, seized him. Mm -hmm. And Paul quickly confess Jesus as Lord. Lord, what would you have me do? And you know what Jesus said? Oh, it's about to be told you what you will do. That's right. <laughs> I've got plans for you for the rest of your life. Mm. Um, Lydia, I mentioned earlier, it simply says in Acts 16, whom the Lord opened her heart. Mm. That's what he does. Amen. Um, the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. Uh, it says they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained mm. to eternal life believed, Acts right. thirteen forty eight. Mm. That's what we mean by irresistible grace. Mm-hmm. Now, the only thing I would say here, brother, mm-hmm. everybody always comes up with silly little caricatures and immature little arguments that just are not intellectually honest. And they'll want to paint uh, God as saving somebody, kicking and screaming, dragging, dragging, them, uh, dragging them down the road of salvation. That is absurd. Yeah. It never has happened in history one time. They don't understand that part of the grace of God in moving on a man or a woman's heart is changing their desires and giving them new want-tos. I remember the night the Spirit of God came on me and quickened me and awakened me. I couldn't get to Jesus quick enough. Right. My heart and affections changed instantaneously. Right. And God, who I formerly feared and hid in nakedness from, mm-hmm. now I couldn't run to him quick enough. Mm-hmm. And so... It's Iris- Titus 3.5. It's regeneration. That's right. He, yeah. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. That's right. And so irresistible grace is simply the teaching that everyone whom God calls will come. That's right. I'll tell you, I talk about <laughs> Kayla all the time being my shoe leather theologian. And people can come up with illustrations in the Bible of people who, quote, resisted God, like Jonah, mm-hmm. you know, or, or others that... Um, you know, resisted God's will for their life. But Kayla always says it this way concerning irresistible grace. She says, you can resist until you can't resist anymore. Amen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I resisted for a and while. And you will, yeah. Yeah. I remember, and you told me your testimony, mm-hmm. 
I knew the truth and I knew it was under the condemnation of God and I ran mm-hmm. as far as I could. But here's what I did. I ran slap into Jesus, <laughs> you know. And if, if God's calling, you run as far as you want to. Mm-hmm. You can go to the far country. You can dive headlong into the pig pen. <laughs> you're coming out on the other side mm-hmm. because God's ordained it to be. That's right. And you're going to bow your knee and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Mm-hmm. And he's going to change your will and your mind and your heart and your want to. And That's you're going to be it. a new creature, brother. Yeah. And it's sweet. It's, it's so. Awesome. It's such a, that is his kindness. It's the romance leads. of redemption. Oh, it's beautiful. It's just wonderful. The one who was the one you hated the most now becomes the most attractive to you. Christ becomes your chief joy. Mm. It's just a miracle, mm. an absolute miracle. Amen. Well, and and again, these all tie in well together. I love that you quoted six, uh, John six thirty seven just a few moments ago when we were talking about uh, effectual calling. And the last one is the P, perseverance of the saints, or as I sometimes like to call it, the preservation of the saints. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, we could stay on John six thirty seven, or we could go elsewhere. But yep. this, this help us to understand what uh, the perseverance of the saints is. Well, this is, if you will, kind of the the glorious mm-hmm. conclusion of the mm. other four. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the consummation of the gospel. Mm. And that is the perseverance of the saints is the teaching that all whom the Father chooses mm-hmm. and whom the Son redeems mm. will never fall away from the state of grace. Mm. As the Baptist faith and message says, but will persevere to the end. That's right. Perseverance of the saints is the conclusion to the doctrine of election. Um, I would state it this way. You're right, John 6. But when I think about it, my mind immediately goes to what's called the golden chain of redemption. Yeah, can't break it. <laughs> and that's the thing about a chain, brother. It has links. And each link is separate and distinct, but connected indivisibly to another link in the chain, so much so that it, it forms a, 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 mm. you know, a circle mm-hmm. that can't be broken, yeah. just like a beautiful necklace that mm. a woman wears around her you know, her arm or her neck. Mm-hmm. And that's why theologians have called this the golden chain of redemption. Mm. And let me read it. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, mm. who are the called according, and I would submit the first verb is purpose. Yes. He has called them according to his purpose. Mm. For whom he did second verb foreknow, mm. them he did also third predestinate to be conformed mm. to the image of his son. Moreover, those whom he called, them he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Mm. What shall we say to these things if God be for us? Who can be against us? <laughs> and think about that chain based on Romans 8, uh, 28 through 31. Mm. Everyone whom God had a purpose for, chain Mm. link, Mm. he foreknew them. Mm -hmm. And everyone whom he foreknew, chain link, Mm -hmm. he predestined them. Mm -hmm. And everyone whom he predestined, chain link, Mm -hmm. he justified them. And everyone that he justified, chain link, and last one, he glorified. Mm-hmm. Glorification is the final state mm-hmm. of the redeemed in eternity with God forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and it begins with God having a purpose in eternity past, 
foreknowing someone, predestining them to be saved, then sending them justifying grace, mm. and then well, calling them first, yeah, yeah. then justifying them, and then glorifying them. We could say it like this. We're confident of this, mm. that God who began a good work in you will perform it under the day of Christ Jesus. Yeah. We might say it like this. We've been justified, mm. past tense. We're being sanctified, conformed to his image. Mm-hmm. And one day we will be glorified. Mm. And that is when we see him, we'll be like him. Yeah. For face we'll see face. him as he is, yes. face to face. Yes. Yes. And we'll be finally and fully transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Now, we'll never be Jesus. No. We'll never be God's. Hmm. But we'll be like him. We'll be glorified. Mm-hmm. With, As he said in John 17, that they may behold my glory, mm. and and Christ is going to share that glory with mm. us. Good night. <laughs> and we don't. I have not seen, ear hath not heard, mm. neither hath entered in the heart of man what the Lord's prepared for those that love Him. But we know from everything God has described to us, this is going to be heaven. This mm. is going to be perfection. This is going to be complete and total satisfaction, mm. rest, joy, fulfillment, happiness, pleasure, mm-hmm. uh, without Satan, without flesh, without demons, without the world w- w- without you know criticism and naysayers and mm. condemners and complainers and murmurers <laughs> and backbiters and haters of God. Yeah. And so the perseverance of the saints is the teaching that everyone whom God elects to be saved, calls to be saved, mm. justifies, he will all through their life mm. sanctify them and prepare them for their wedding day. Mm. And that, that justifying grace Mm. which became sanctifying grace, Mm. will lead them straight up to the throne of God. Mm. It will see them safely all the way through to the end. Mm. And I would just say this to my Baptist brothers and sisters whom I love. Mm. Um, It's not the best way to state it, Mm -hmm. once saved, always saved, though I do believe that properly understood. Mm -hmm. But I want to just say to anybody listening that might be struggling with what we're teaching today, there is no doctrine of once saved, always saved. There is no doctrine of eternal security without election. Yes. Election is once saved, always saved. Yes. The doctrine of election is eternal security. That's where we got that from. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I apologize to you that most of the generations in which you've lived mm-hmm. have tried to divorce a teaching of once saved, always saved from the doctrine of election, and it's created a mess. Yes. But in its truest and purest form, the doctrine of eternal security comes out from and grows out of the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, which is rooted in mm. God's sovereign election and foreknowledge and salvation. Mm-hmm. That's where we get that doctrine from. Amen. When you think about it, God, Ephesians chapter 1, chose us in Christ Jesus mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. the world began. So therefore, nothing in this world... Yeah. No height, no depth, no angel, Mm. no demon, nothing present, nothing to come shall ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. The reason nothing in this world is able to separate us, his choice of us predates this world and transcends this world. Transcends it, yes. So Mm. there's nothing created that can separate us from the creator. Right. And that, brothers and sisters, is the doctrine of election. It is an anchor for the soul. Mm -hmm. It's a rock for the church. Mm Mm-hmm. And we're doing our churches great wrong and disservice by holding these truths from them. Amen. And I want to talk about that in just a moment about 
really some of the practical applications of these doctrines. Right. You know, like you and Jeff say often that all theology is local church theology. Exactly. How does this flesh out in the life of the church? Sure. But before we get there, and I don't know about you, but I had this issue, you know, early on uh, when I came to the doctrines of grace uh, and uh, absorbed them, believed them, came to – there was a uh, – uh, there were some ditches that I could have sure. easily fallen into and were even tempted and swayed to. What are some of those ditches that you've seen in the past, and what kind of warnings would you oh, give to brothers? <laughs> that probably needs to be another podcast. It may, it may be. Yeah. I, 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 would, I would say that a lot of zeal not according to knowledge yes. has created a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. Um, back to what I said in the very beginning, you need to – your people need to know that they can trust you yeah. and you need to have a pattern of consistency before them and you need to work very, very diligently hard mm-hmm. at establishing biblical authority in your church before you launch out into the tulip. Amen. Um, another thing that I would say would be, you know, and there's a great section in the little book we use on the quagmire mm. of hyper-Calvinism. Oh, yes, yes, and yeah. That that's to be avoided, and Timothy George does a good job of laying out some of those quagmires. Yeah. The first, I don't know that I need to go through every one of them, but the first is the the wrong teaching hmm. of eternal justification. Yes. Some people want to extend justification back into eternity, hmm. but what is it? What is in eternity is God's foreknowledge and predestination of us to mm-hmm. justification. Right. You're not saved in eternity past. That's right. You're saved in your lifetime. Mm-hmm. And that requires repentance and faith and belief on the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And so here's where a lot of zealots get into trouble is they make salvation out to be the deterministic will of God in eternity past that requires no faith, no belief, no repentance, no trust. That flies in the face of the very gospel of Jesus Christ and everything Christ and the apostles taught. Mm -hmm. So that would be one example of of how just a ditch. Mm -hmm. Another thing I think is that people um, ignore what we would call human responsibility. Yeah. And I know I've alluded to that in that statement, mm-hmm. but um, we have a responsibility. We have gospel duties. Mm-hmm. We're to pray. Yes. We're to evangelize. We're to witness. We're to share the gospel. We're to obey the Great Commission. God has not only decreed and determined the end, mm-hmm. he's decreed and determined the means which get us to the appointed ends. Mm-hmm. And those are those spiritual disciplines, mm. prayer, fasting, study the scriptures, mm. attending the local church, mm. uh, being faithful to sit under the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God, being a witness. Um, you know, people say, well, if God's determined everything, why pray? Because he told you to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If God's already elected, who's going to be saved? Why witness? Because the way God draws the elect is through the witness of his saints. That's right. He's told us to go into all the world. I don't have to know how all the pieces fit together. Right. I just, all I have to know is Jesus told me to do this, and I'm going to do it. Yeah. I'm not smart enough to know how it all fits <laughs> together. Yeah. But I know both are taught in Scripture, mm-hmm. and so until I get to heaven and he explains it to me, or if he chooses not to, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Because all I really need to know is what does my Father want me to do. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I think adding to that, we could always say pride. Um 
you know, uh, pride is a, sometimes an issue with those who come to these doctrines of grace and they don't affirm them in others. Uh, let me ask this question and then we'll move on to the final question here. What, what, is it possible for someone who ascribes to these doctrines of grace to be able to lock arms in, in any type of gospel partnership with, say, what we would call an Armenian? Only if they are God-centered and God-focused in their, in their understanding of Scripture. Mm-hmm. I would say, obviously, yes, there are some brothers out there, for whatever reason, mm-hmm. that may not uh, agree with me on every point that we've discussed here today. Mm-hmm. But like Wesley and Whitfield, sure. a lot of people would call Wesley an Arminian, but mm-hmm. when you read him <laughs> and you read his books and hear his sermons, he was so God-focused, brother. Mm-hmm. He was God-centered in his theology, not man-centered. Does yes. that make a difference? Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. I, I, yes, yeah. I could work with a God-centered guy, but I could, I cannot work with a man-centered Armenian is Armenian guy that believes in decisional regeneration, mm-hmm. that that believes it's his job through pressure tactics and salesmanship to get a guy to agree to pray a prayer. Yeah. To me, that's worthless and means absolutely nothing. Yeah. People don't get you know, crawdad into heaven. They don't backdoor into heaven because you were smart enough or slick enough to get them to pray a That's prayer. That's right, brother. And, and I know there's a lot of Armenians out there that don't believe that at all. Right. They, they believe that salvation's a miracle. They believe they have an understanding of regeneration. They understand that the Holy Spirit has to move. Mm-hmm. I can work with those types of people. Amen, brother. As a matter of fact, I can work with them more than I can some staunchy Calvinist out there. Yeah. Um, so it, it just has to do, brother, with their understanding of is this a God-centered gospel mm. or is this a man-centered gospel? That's, That's what it would come down to for me. That's good. And I know we've already touched on this, but if we could give just a little bit of time here to focusing on some of the practical applications of these doctrines. Right. I mean, how do you see these things fleshed out in evangelism, uh, membership issues, you know, biblical counseling, preaching, all, I mean, there's so many different realms of it here. Church discipline. I can't tell you, brother, the numbers of times. It, it, it's countless. It would be pointless for me to try to recite all of them today <laughs> that a member of our church has faced the death of a child, mm-hmm. the death of a spouse, cancer, mm-hmm. um, some horrible accident or trauma that's come in their life, and they've come up to me and said something like this, Brother, thank you for teaching us the sovereignty of God. Mm. It's the pillow on which I rest my head this Amen. evening, that mm. God is sovereign, that he's mm. in control, and that I know he has a plan, even though right now I can't see it. Mm-hmm. Even though right now the waters are murky and clouded to me, I know my Redeemer lives. Mm. Brother, it's everything. Mm. It. It's the difference between the church being shallow and yes. cute and cutesy and funny and mm. prissy to the church being an anchor, a soul-saving station, a place where people can anchor their lives and raise their grandchildren and teach them that the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Mm-hmm. And that's what the book of Revelation has been. Mm. You know, it looks like chaos to the average reader. Mm. No, it's designed mm. by God to bring the created order under the authority of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And, brother, though right now this world seems chaotic, and, you know, that's what keeps me from despair, Joe. Amen. When I look at radical gender dis- dysfunction and confusion yeah. and the gay and radical gay and lesbian agenda and, you know, the, the baby-killing abortionists mm-hmm. that want to railroad our country, 
Brother, the thing that keeps me center is the fact that our God reigns. We're one trumpet blast from all of that being ended mm. and Jesus coming back and ruling and reigning over the nations with a rod of iron. And mm. I say, even so come. Now, please. Yes, Lord Jesus, please. <laughs> but, brother, no matter how dark the day gets, the hand of providence is above it. Mm. And it's an anchor for my soul. This is the greatest theological truth God has ever taught me. Mm-hmm. First of all, that he would save a sinner like me. Yeah. Second of all, that he would keep a sinner like me yes. no matter what. Yeah. You know, I preached my father-in-law's funeral last Sunday. Mm-hmm. And brother, he wasn't a perfect man. Mm-hmm. He had sin in his life. Mm-hmm. And if you just looked at his life, you'd say, well, he's not worthy of heaven. Mm-hmm. Well, if, you, if I looked at your life, I could say that. Yeah. If you looked at my life, I could mm-hmm. say that. Amen. We don't go to heaven because we're worthy. Mm-hmm. We go to heaven because Jesus is worthy. That's right. Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm chief, Paul mm-hmm. said. And so I was able to stand at his graveside and declare uh, absent from the body is present with the Lord Mm -hmm. because his life was anchored in a firm belief and trust in and reliance upon the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, his sanctification might not have been as pretty as some in our church. Mm. uh, And I'll tell you something I've had to learn through the years, brother. Some people's sanctification is stunted somewhat because they're in such weak, uh, anemic churches with shallow, superficial preaching. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, uh, he who began a good work in you will perform it Mm -hmm. under the day of Christ Jesus. So it just is a rock and an anchor to the soul uh, of of troubled man and troubled hearts Mm -hmm. when disaster strikes or peril comes Mm -hmm. unlike anything else yeah that's probably the primary application i know that i've experienced over the years too whether it's you know uh, issues at home issues uh at work or whatever the case may be is that like you said it truly is the sovereignty of god i can go to bed at night with a clear conscience knowing that the lord reigns we should witness Mm -hmm. we should evangelize Mm -hmm. brother you know how much time we spend annually obeying the Great Commission, mm-hmm. hours and hours, thousands and thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. Our partnership with Anchored in Truth, mm-hmm. literally we're going all over the world um, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. This past week, on my bike ride, mm-hmm. I shared the gospel with at least half a dozen people mm-hmm. or more, mm-hmm. straight up, mm-hmm. straight up, straight out. I try to do that everywhere I go, brother. It's just who I am. Mm-hmm. So we are commanded to share the gospel, but I'll never forget sitting at Southwestern Seminary in probably the most popular, well-known, and beloved, and I loved him too, evangelism professor uh, there at Southwestern Seminary. And he told the story uh, of being on a street somewhere, and there was a man, and he felt like he needed to go witness to him, and he and he, some things came up, and he didn't do it. And uh, the next day, uh, that, a car hit that man, and his blood was splattered on the cement there and the curb. And he said, and he was weeping, and he mm-hmm. said, every day I walk past that blood, and I see it splattered on that curb. I weep and cry knowing that his blood's on my hand, and I'm responsible for him being in hell. Mm-hmm. Well, let me just say this. Yes, we're supposed to witness, but right. I'm not responsible for anybody being in hell. That's right. Now, I may be giving account to Jesus for not obeying him in some area when I should have witnessed, but nobody's going to hell because of me. Or heaven. Exactly. <laughs> what a burden. What a curse. Yes. To, 
it, it, you put yourself in the place of God where you're responsible for the souls of men Mm-mm. who can bear the, Jesus bore that burden on the cross mm-hmm. and I just can't tell you how liberating it is to me mm-hmm. to understand that my job is this my job is to live a holy life mm-hmm. And my job is to adorn the gospel of Jesus Christ with 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 godliness and holiness. Mm-hmm. And my job is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And when I do, my job is done. Amen. It's the job of the Spirit to step in and add conviction and belief and repentance and faith and trust. I can't do that. Mm-hmm. What it's done for me, it's freed me That's up. Right. I used to be under this guilt of, oh, I've got to share the gospel with you. I've got to get you to pray this prayer. Then I've got to get you to join our church. Then I get you to be baptized. And I've got to get you to do this and this and this. And it's just this burden and weight. But since I came to an understanding of the doctrines of grace, it's freed me up to share the gospel everywhere I go. Mm-hmm. I call people to repentance. Mm-hmm. I call people to be saved, but I can't save them. Mm-hmm. And and it's such a joy to be able to just share the gospel and leave the results up to Jesus. Amen. So that would be a practical way for me yeah. that it's blessed my life. Absolutely. We can trust him uh, to do what he has already determined that he is going to do. That's exactly right. Amen. 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 Well, brother, maybe we've come to a good place where we can kind of bring a, a put a bow on this and uh, wrap it up. But I just wanted to know, do you have any final thoughts or any final uh, things that you'd like to add? I know we could, like you said earlier, we could spend an entire uh, podcast just on total depravity alone and maybe some of the you know, questions people have about it, but any final thoughts that you have before we close? I, I just don't know how in integrity you say you're a God-called preacher, that you're God's man, that you're owned by Jesus, that your loyalty and your allegiance is to Jesus Christ, but there's some things you won't preach and teach. Mm-hmm. Sir, you're walking in the fear of man. Amen. That's disobedience. Mm-hmm. And what I would say to you is this, get over your fear and your pride. Mm-hmm. It's God's job to call you. Mm-hmm. It's God's job to keep you in a pulpit. Your job is not to preserve yourself through... Mm-hmm politics mm. and playing you know words certain ways and making a word salad up so that nobody gets offended mm. your job is to preach the whole counsel of god mm. so i would say it's not necessary mm. for you to go into your church and preach the tulip it's not necessary for you to go into your church and preach calvin's institutes it is necessary for you to preach Romans. That's right. It is necessary for you to preach Ephesians. Mm-hmm. It is necessary for you to preach the Gospel of John. And here's what I would say to you. When you come to the great texts in Scripture that deal with the sovereignty of God, use the same hermeneutic there mm-hmm. that you've used everywhere else. And say like Queen Esther, if I perish, I perish. Yeah. At least I'll be dying for the truth. That's right. But don't compromise the precious Word of God to save your skin. Mm. Preach the whole counsel of God and leave the results to Jesus. What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? What would I have robbed our people from, brother, mm. if in fear I would have held this truth back from them? Mm. Comfort during oh. times of despair. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, I believe I would give an account to God for that. I believe so, too. I do. And mm-hmm. So what do you fear? Your, your fear should be the Lord. Amen. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Mm-hmm. So let that drive you, Amen. not the fear of man. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out this afternoon to be able to uh, talk about these very important doctrinal subjects and the way that they flesh out in the life of the church. Uh, we do want to just say a word to our listeners that uh, if you're listening to us, first of all, thank you so much for listening and tuning into us. But also, if you have any questions or feedback or maybe a subject that you'd like for Brother Jono to discuss uh, in one of the podcasts, please uh, uh, write me an email. It's uh, brojo at smbconline.com. 
We'd love to hear from you. Uh, very thankful for the, those of you who do regularly uh, respond and, and just kind of give us words of encouragement. We thank you so much for that. We appreciate you and we love you very much. Thank you for listening to the Faithful Expositor. For more information on Brother Jono's ministry, go to our church website, smbconline.com, and follow him on Twitter at Jono Sims.